Uh, Today's scripture reading comes from 1 Samuel, chapter 24, verses 1 through 22. Please follow along uh, in your Bibles, the screen above, or on your phones. After Saul returned from pursuing the Philistines, he was told, David is in the desert of En Gedi. So Saul took 3,000 able young men from all Israel and set out to look for David and his men near the crags of the wild goats. He came to the sheep pens along the way. A cave was there, and Saul went in to relieve himself. David and his men were far back in the cave. The men said, This is the day the Lord spoke of when he said to you, I will give your enemy into your hands for you to deal with as you wish. Then David crept up unnoticed and cut off a corner of Saul's robe. Afterward, David was conscience-stricken for having cut off a corner of his robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do such a thing to my master, the Lord's anointed, or lay my hand on him, for he is the anointed of the Lord. With these words, David sharply rebuked his men and did not allow them to attack Saul. And Saul left the cave and went his way. Then David went out of the cave and called out to Saul, My Lord, the king. When Saul looked behind him, David bowed down and prostrated himself with his face to the ground. He said to Saul, Why do you listen when men say, David is bent on harming you? This day you have seen with your own eyes how the Lord delivered you into my hands in the cave. Some urged me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not lay my hand on my Lord, because he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, look at this piece of your robe in my hand. I cut off the corner of your robe, but did not kill you. See that there is nothing in my hand to indicate that I am guilty of wrongdoing or rebellion. I have not wronged you, but you are hunting me down to take my life. May the Lord judge between you and me, and may the Lord avenge wrongs you have done to me, but my hand will not touch you. As the old saying goes, from evildoers come evil deeds, so my hand will not touch you. Against whom has the king of Israel come out? Who are you pursuing? A dead dog? A flea? May the Lord be our judge and decide between us. May he consider my cause and uphold it. May he vindicate me by delivering me from your hand. When David finished saying this, Saul asked, Is that your voice, David, my son? And he wept aloud. You are more righteous than I, he said. You have treated me well, but I have treated you badly. You have just now told me about the good you did to me. The Lord delivered me into your hands, but you did not kill me. When the man finds his enemy, does he let him get away unharmed? May the Lord reward you well for the way you treated me today. I know that you will surely be king and that the kingdom of Israel will be established in your hands. Now swear to me by the Lord that you will not kill off my descendants or wipe out my name from my father's family. So David gave his oath to Saul. Then Saul returned home, but David and his men went up to the stronghold. This is the word of God. Hello, 1 p.m. How's everyone doing? Good? No? Okay. All right. So it doesn't matter. I don't really care anyways now. All right. I'm just kidding. Uh, my name is Josh, for those who don't know me, and I'm one of the intern pastors here, and I'm specifically um, in charge of this site along with Pastor 1J, along with this service. Um, so yeah, it's good to see everyone here. Um, I'm part of the Ivory Coast Summer Missions team that's leaving this Thursday, so if you can please pray for us. We have a team of 15, and um, we're doing a bunch of different stuff there, but one of the main things that we're doing is we're hosting a youth camp for a couple of days, so it's going to be an awesome time of just equipping and empowering the next generation there. So um, please keep us in your prayer, because the first week we get there, it's going to be like grueling. We're like going to five different villages, like all in one week, Um, so it's going to be very, very time, so please keep us in your prayer. Um, But before we begin, can we just take this time to pray? 
Um, can you guys just pray for my shoulder? Like something like the, like the muscles in my shoulders are like really knotted and it's hurting right now. So it's like distracting me. So if, but if you can pray for me, so I pray uh, for the service right now. Um, Holy Spirit, we just thank you for your presence that's here right now. And um, Lord, we ask that you would just convict our hearts uh, of what it means to be people of integrity, that we would look at the story of David um, and the man of integrity that you've called him to be. And Lord, that it would inspire and encourage us to live also life integrity, to, um, to be true and consistent and authentic in every part of our lives. So, Lord, we thank you. Lord, we also would you just touch my shoulder, God, and just unloosen all the knots of muscles that are just knotted there. Um, so we thank you. We love you. In Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. Um, so today, I just kind of want to piggyback off of what Pastor Lisa preached on last week on Matthew 7, where Jesus says, I never knew you. And if you didn't hear the sermon, you can just catch it up on our New Mercy podcast online. But her main point was that we can live our whole lives knowing Jesus, but not allow Jesus to know us. That we can be like Judas and know that Jesus is Lord, but not allow his lordship to reign and to transform every aspect of our lives. So this past week, as I was chewing on that sermon, I was really convicted, um, and I wanted to just examine myself and ask myself, am I like Judas in any part of my life? Is there any part of my life where I say I'm following Jesus, but my life is telling a whole different story? And while I was praying this week, I felt like the Lord was saying, Josh, there are many Christians, but few disciples. There are many Christians in the church, but there are few disciples. And I think if we're honestly to take a good hard look at our lives, we have to ask ourselves, are we following Jesus or are we just following a religion, a set of rules and things that we have to do? Because the thing is this, Jesus never came to promote the religion of Christianity and a list of rules and and traditions and rituals that we have to do. But he came to look for and disciple men and women of God who are wholly committed to doing the will of the Father. Therefore, God isn't looking for people who are just doing the religious duties of Sunday Christianity. But he's looking for people who are consistent, authentic, whole, honest with every part of their lives. And their every day-to-day walk in rootedness in Christ. I believe that God is ultimately looking for people of integrity. So we find ourselves in 1 Samuel um, chapter 24, verse 3. And it says that Saul went into a cave to relieve himself. But as it happened, David and his men were hiding further back in that very cave. Sorry, lost it. Um, Now's your opportunity, David's men whispered to him. Today the Lord is telling you, I will certainly put your enemy into your power to do as you wish. So David crept forward and cut off a piece of the hem of Saul's robe. But then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. He said to his men, the Lord forbid that I should do this to my lord, the king. I shouldn't attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David restrained his men and did not let them kill Saul. So we're introduced to David, and at this point of his life, he's been banished from Jerusalem by King Saul. And he's been on the run for the last 10 years or so, and and he's hiding in deserts, he's sleeping in caves. And for most of his teens and in his 20s, he's just been on the run. And so one day, David and his men, they they hear rumors that Saul and his army is nearby and that he's out on the hunt to kill and search for David once again. So David and his men, they hide in a cave, hoping that Saul and his army would just pass by like every other time and that they would be able to escape. 
But lo and behold, Saul enters the very same cave that David and his men happen to be in. And out of all the positions that he can be in, he's in the most vulnerable position. Like he was just in the desert sun, but he just entered into a dark cave. His back is against the wall to David and his men. And out of all positions, his pants is down and he's relieving himself in the cave. And David and his men, they can't believe the very event that's unfolding right before their eyes. Right in front of them is the very man who's been making their life miserable, who's been making their life like hell. And all David has to do is just kill Saul, and he would become the next king of Israel. That means no longer sleeping in deserts, no longer hiding in caves, but that they would be able to live comfortably in the palace. So David's men convinces David that this must be a divine coincidence, that this must be from God himself, a sign from himself that he is finally delivering Saul into David's hand and that he would give the kingdom and dominion of Israel over to David. So if there was social media back in the day, you know, all of his men probably have Instagram, Twitter, and Snapchat ready to, tr- to show let everyone know that the kingdom of Israel belongs to David now. So David slowly creeps up behind Saul with the mindset to kill him. But all David does instead is that he rips off the corner of Saul's robe. Now, for many of us, you know, cutting off someone's robe might not be a big deal. But in that culture, cutting off someone's robe meant that you're basically removing someone's glory, someone's kingship. It was an act of dishonor. And in that ancient Semitic culture, honor is one of the most foundational pillars and core values of that time. So in verse 5, we read that David's conscience bears on him. And David immediately regrets what he has done. And I think, I think the fact that we have a conscience shows that God created us to be a people of integrity, to be people of character. Recently, one of the kids that I babysit was like, you know, I wish we didn't have a conscience so I wouldn't feel guilty when I do bad things. And I'm like, yeah, I agree with you. But the very fact that we experience guilt, that we experience burden, we experience brokenness and a certain disconnect when we do something wrong shows that God intended and created us to live with integrity. Amen that we're no longer slaves to sin, not giving care what we do, but now we are sons and daughters of the King of Kings, amen? We are sons and daughters of the King of Kings. We are nobility. We are royalty. We're called to carry his name well. We're called to represent Jesus well. We're called to become righteous, consistent, authentic, true, non-hypocritical because God himself is integrity. God himself is integrity. The Bible defines, um, the the dictionary defines integrity as this. Integrity is adherence to moral and ethical principles. Soundness of moral character. Honest, authentic, consistent. State of being whole and complete. And these are some of the values and significance that that the Bible places on integrity. In Proverbs 28, 6, it says this, that it's better to be a poor man who walks in his integrity than a rich man who is crooked in his ways. Proverbs 11.3 says this, the integrity of the upright guides them, but the crookedness of the treacherous destroys them. And even in Philippians 4.8, Apostle Paul is encouraging his reader to pursue after integrity, pursue after things that are true, pursue after things that are honorable, that are just, pure, lovely, commendable. And integrity is such a big word and it entails a lot, but The way I would define integrity is just three things. Number one, I think integrity is being consistent in your action and in your words. Number two, integrity is having the unwavering determination to do what is right no matter what the cost. And number three, integrity is being true to who you are and who God called you to be. It's having the motivation, the fierce desire, the eagerness to live like the man who said himself that I am the truth. 
And the thing with integrity is this, is that you can't make it up or you, and you can't fake it. Like, you either have integrity or you don't. Like, you're either a person who is consistent in your action and words, who's willing to always do right no matter what the cost, who's always willing to be true to who God has called you to be, or you're simply just a hypocrite. You can't fake it and you can't make it up. You either have it or you don't. And I think a lot of times it's easy to misunderstand integrity to mean perfection. But if we look at David in our passage today, David was far from, protection, from perfection. He was far from perfection. I mean, think about it. David, he's the one who slept with another man's wife, Bathsheba. So he was an adulterer, right? And in order to cover up that sin, he sent Uriah to the very front line of the battle line to kill him, to murder him, so that he, his, his sin would be covered up. David was a murderer. And later on in his life, we find out that David is not the best father. Yet in 1 Kings chapter 9, verse 4, God declares David to be a man who walked with integrity and uprightness. So even though David is far from perfect, God viewed him as a man of integrity for the rest of eternity. So integrity isn't perfection, and it isn't a place or a status that you arrive at, but it's a journey. It's a conviction. It's a heart motivation to see that every aspect of our lives represent Jesus well. That every aspect of our lives would represent Jesus well. And I think integrity can be implied in so many different contexts and in so many different ways. Like maybe we should have just a series on integrity of like, what would integrity look like in family, in, in communication, in, in finances, in relationships, marriage, et cetera, et cetera. But Today, I just want to touch upon integrity from a pers- personal perspective and ask ourselves, are we people of integrity that's becoming more like Jesus? Or are we just saying one thing, but our lives are telling a completely different story? Because the need for integrity in our day and age cannot be greater. The need for integrity in our day and age cannot be greater. I mean, think about the world. The world sends the message that integrity is neither popular nor is it valuable. Like, we see it happen on the news all the time, right? There's, there's another CEO just stealing money. We find that companies are, are just putting child, um, are using child labor. There's broken marriages and multiple affairs just popping left and right. There's, like, just celebrities and athletes just constantly promoting a self-centered, pleasured lifestyle. And, and to make matters worse, the church hasn't done a great job of modeling integrity as well. I mean, if you think about it, the, fi- the same financial scandals that are out there in the world exist in, in churches today. The same sexual scandals that exist outside in the world exist in the four walls of, our, of, of church today. The same hypocrisy that's out there exists in our church here today. And that's why Mohammed Gandhi, he famously quotes, I like your Christ, but not your Christians. Because for many of us, it's easy to hide the truth. It's easy to be obsessed with our appearances. And it's easy to live under many disguises. Like what Pastor Lisa preached on last week. It's easy to just put on the mask, to come to church with a mask. And then for the rest of the week, we're completely different. And for many of us, we just want to have enough outward character integrity to appear godly to those around us. But there's not many people who, who are willing to have the inward and outward integrity and character. To not just talk the talk, but to walk the walk. Amen. And that's Jesus' main criticism to the Pharisees and religious leaders of his day. That you guys are not people of integrity. That you guys are hypocrites. So in Matthew 23, Jesus says, you know, he, he criticizes the Pharisees by saying that there's no point in cleaning the outside of your cup if the inside of your cup still remains dirty. 
Like, what's the point of, of, of noticing the speck of dust in the other person's eye when you have a law coming out of your own? And so what Jesus is essentially saying is that you're more concerned about your image and your integrity. You're more concerned about your image and your integrity. And I believe that if Jesus walked into the modern church today, that that would be, some, that would be the message to a lot of us here today in this room. That you're more concerned about what people think you are than who you really are. So I'm fully convinced that the church doesn't need another good message. It doesn't need more passionate prayer meetings. It doesn't need people with more intense emotion, but it needs people of integrity, amen? It needs people of integrity who are willing to be whole, authentic, true, consistent, honest, undivided. We need people who are aspiring to live with integrity and to its fullest, to live a godly lifestyle no matter what the cost. Because that's going to be one of the things that's going to attract people to Jesus and his bride, the church. Chuck Swindle, he says this, few things are more infectious than a godly lifestyle. The people you rub shoulders with every day need that kind of challenge. Not prudish, not preachy, just spot on living. Honest to goodness, bone deep, non-hypocritical integrity. Authentic obedience to God. So I fully believe that the world doesn't need more Christians. I think we have enough Christians, but now we need more disciples. We need people of integrity who are willing to lay down the foundation of integrity in their lives. Integrity must be a building block in our lives. Integrity must be built up. And the thing with integrity is that you don't become a person of integrity in the moment, but through every moment. You don't become a person of integrity all of a sudden when you're faced with a difficult decision, but you become a person of integrity through every moment, from how you love on your families and kids, from how you act towards those who hurt you, from the way you spend your money, from the way you talk to your coworkers. Integrity is built in moments, in the seen moments and in the unseen moments. In Daniel 3, we're introduced to Daniel's three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. I don't know if that's how you pronounce the last name, but these three friends of Daniel, they're exiles in a foreign pagan empire serving a foreign pagan king. And at that time, all the servants of the king, they were required to eat meat and drink wine. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, they refused to eat the meat and drink the wine because they did not want to violate their integrity. They didn't want to violate their commitment to being holy to the one and true living God. And the crazy thing is that they're so committed to their integrity and to their holiness that they were willing to give up their whole lives just so that they would not violate it. They valued integrity more than their own lives. And so the rest of the story goes is that they're thrown into fire and God rescues them. And people come to encounter the one and true living God because these three friends, they wanted to value integrity more than anything else. That they would not compromise their holiness to the culture around them. But the thing is, is that Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it's not like they all of a sudden became people of integrity in that moment, right? But these three men of God, they were they were men of God. They were fasting. They were praying. They were making consistent daily choices to be holy, blameless, and of integrity. So when the time did come for their integrity to, to be put to the test, they remained consistent. They remained true. They remained holy, and they remained perfect before the Lord, and they passed with flying colors. And even in our story today, you know, David was able to pass the test of integrity in the cave 
when he had the opportunity to kill Saul, he passed his integrity, passed test of integrity in the cave because David consistently made choices to be true, authentic, whole, and honest before God throughout the years. I mean, you ever notice that out of all the times Saul tried to kill David, David never picked up the spear and threw it back. Like of all the times that Saul was out to get David, David never criticized this mad king. And in this moment in our passage today, when he had the opportunity to take the kingship and the dominion and the kingdom of Israel for himself, David never took matters into his own hands because David consistently made choices to be a man of integrity. His integrity was built up over years and years through every decision and choices he made in the seen places and especially in the unseen places when no one was watching except for the Lord. So even for me, like recently, I got into my first relationship with an amazing girl, and it's been, it's been fun. It's been good. It's been great. Um, you guys all make fun of me for it and just put all the attention on me, and the timing of everything has just been awesome. But um, even heading into this relationship, um, I think I shared with you guys last year in my first sermon that, you know, for years, I struggled with pornography and sexual temptations, right? And so one of my fears heading into this relationship was like, man, God, like, I want us to be victorious in sexual purity. And and for as long as we date, I want us to make it to the finish line to finish well, right? But God, like, I don't know if I can trust myself. Like, after all these years of struggling pornography and and sexual temptations, like, would I be able to honor her well? Like, will this relationship honor you well? Like, what if I fail, God? And all these worries and doubts are just forming in my head. But I felt like last week I was just praying, um, you know, for the relationship and just for myself. And I felt like God was saying, Josh, you know, I saw all those failures. I saw all those moments of failures, and there were many, and many, and many. But I also saw all those times that you chose to be a man of integrity, that you chose to fight for sexual purity, that you chose to make integrity a core value in your life, even in your singlehood, that you chose to be, you chose, and you're determined to always come back into my grace. And all those choices and prayers that nobody knows except for me has built up the foundation of integrity in your life. And because of that, I trust you to date this daughter of mine well. Like, have no fear. Like, I trust you a lot, Josh. You've proven yourself in the seen places and in the unseen places. And that's the heart of God. God desires to trust us more and more. I mean, he's a good, good father. And he loves to give good, perfect gifts to his children. Right? And Ephesians 2 says that there's a whole inheritance of spiritual blessings that are waiting to be, you know, taken by us. That there's promises and destinies and, and purposes that God wants to do in and through our lives. But in order for God to trust us more, that foundation of integrity must be laid down in our lives. And it's easy to think that, oh man, it's just another harmless look at pornography. Or it's just another drink. Or it's just another coarse joke or an inappropriate comment. But every moment is either an opportunity to build up the foundation of integrity in your life or put cracks into it. Because God wants to give us more and more and he wants to trust us more and more and there's so many things that he wants to do in and through you. The question isn't how much God will give you but how much can you bear? How strong and steadfast is the foundation of your character and our integrity? How resolute is our ability to hold fast onto the core values of the kingdom in the face of a raging temptation-filled world? Amen. Because God will not entrust the gift of his greatest dreams to a people who do not have the foundation to steward them well. 
You know, the taller the tree goes, the deeper and wider the roots must go to support it. And that's the same way it works in the kingdom of God, that the foundation of integrity in your life must be able to sustain the greater promises that God wants to do in you and through you. Amen. So in our story today, David was momentarily influenced by the voices around him. But in the end, David obeyed the voice of God. David's men wanted to take matters into their own hand, but David trusted to leave the matter into God's hand. So I believe one of the ways we build integrity in our lives is choosing to live to the standard of the kingdom culture within us rather than to the standard of the worldly culture around us. And for many of us, the voice of culture speaks louder than the voice of God. And therefore, the values of this world have more influence than the values of heaven. So there's the voice of of the world around us saying, you know, you have to spend your entire life trying to reach a certain lifestyle. That it's okay to go back on your word. That it's okay to talk behind someone's back. It's okay to live a double life. But the thing is this, when God put the Holy Spirit inside each and every one of us, the Holy Spirit empowers us to be set apart. I mean, the word holiness is basically a fancy word for just to me, set apart. Like God set us apart to be different, to be countercultural, to be representative of his kingdom and all of its values. And if we don't understand that we're called to live by that standard, then the voice of culture will always have more influence over our lives than the voice of God. And we'll always get caught up in the current of the world and we'll always be led to a place of compromise. And brothers and sisters, we'll never be able to influence this world when we're always in a place of compromise. So the questions I want to ask us today is this. Does the world look at us and see the integrity of Christ? Does the world look at Christians and see a different way of thinking and of living? Or do Christians just melt right into the systems around us? falling into the same addictions, same immorality, same dishonesty, and the same self-centered living. Rosa Parks says this, stand for something or you will fall for anything. Just want to encourage you guys that we're called to stand for the kingdom. We're called to carry the currents of heaven within us so that we release the values of heaven wherever we go, to be true, to be consistent, to be authentic, to be whole, to be like Jesus. And of all the moments in David's life, the second half of our chapter 24 today was one of my favorites of all, all of David's journey because his integrity is fully put on display, right? After David's conscience bears on him, he goes out and he confesses to Saul what he's done. And he takes a step further. He falls to his knees and he bows before the very man who's been after his life for all these years. And he tells him, my Lord, my King, I will never harm you. Like David could have let the situation be and Saul wouldn't have known what David did. But David did and he was convicted to do the right thing to restore Saul's honor, to restore Saul's kingship, to replace his honor even if he was a madman. And this part of the story, it it creates tension within myself because when I read it, You know, I have to ask myself, Josh, would you be able to do the same thing? Could you confess and fall to your knees and bow before the very man who's been causing pain and destruction in your life? Can I let go of my pride? Can I put death to the self and choose to do the right thing in that moment, no matter how costly it is? And the crazy thing is that David's integrity in that moment actually cost David a few more years of suffering. Saul, you know, he's, he's crazy. So in the two chapters later down the road, he actually tries to hunt down David again. But I believe in that moment, David knew that by doing the right thing, yes, it would be a few more years of suffering, but it would be worth it 
because he never violated his integrity. He was committed to doing what's right before the Lord. So I believe integrity isn't doing the right thing only when it benefits us, but integrity is doing the right thing, especially when it's costly to us. Integrity is just simply authentic obedience to God, doing the right thing no matter what the cost, no matter what the price. Right? It's not fancy, it's, it's not elaborate, it's just doing the right thing before God because that's who we're called to be. We're called to obey Him. And for too many of us, obedience is such a challenge because we're so focused on what we want and what we desire rather than concern, having concern for what God wants. But in 2 Corinthians, Paul addresses the believer and he says that you who are believers have been given a new nature. You've been given a new spirit. You've been given new desires, new inclinations to obey, to desire, to love God and those around you. Like before when you were in your old spirit, you didn't have a choice. So you gave yourselves away to the sins and passions in your life. But now, now you have a choice to do what's right because you have a new nature. You have the Holy Spirit living inside of you to do what's pleasing to God and to love those around you. And that's what Jesus came to die for. Jesus died so that we would be able to inherit this new nature, amen? Jesus died so that we would become people of integrity. Jesus died so that we would be able to do the right thing no matter what the cost. Jesus died so that we would become people of integrity that would carry his name well and as we represent him. So here's Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, and this is his last few hours before he's about to suffer the most brutal, agonizing suffering known to mankind. And he's on his knees in the middle of the night. He's sweating blood. He's trembling. But the interesting thing about Gethsemane is this, is that we know it as a garden. But if you actually know Gethsemane, Gethsemane is actually just groves of trees along, along a mountainside. But Apostle John, he describes it as a garden because he wants the readers to go back to the only other garden in the Bible, and that's the Garden of Eden. And if you know the Garden of Eden, what happened was that Adam was given a choice to either obey God or just follow his own desires. And you know how the story goes. Adam says, this is what I want. I don't give a damn crap about what God wants. But in this moment, in the Garden of Gethsemane, here's Jesus struggling with going to the cross. He's honest before God. He says, God, if you are willing, would you take this cup of suffering away from me? But in this moment, Jesus stays steadfast. He holds on to his integrity. He remains consistent. He remains authentic. He remains honest. He remains true. And he says, but Lord, not my will, but your will be done. And what Jesus was essentially was saying, God, this is what I want. But more than what I want, I want what you want. I just want you, God. I just want you, God. And it's Jesus' integrity in that very moment that changed the course of eternity and brought salvation to all humanity. So at this time, I'm just going to ask you all to rise and we're going to respond with the song. Or we're going to respond with, we say yes. And as we sing this song, can we just declare and can we just say, yes, Lord, we, we say yes to becoming people of integrity, people of character. It's time to take off the mask. It's, it's time to stop living the double life. It's time to just stop saying that you believe in Jesus, but actually live your life out like you actually believe in the one who says that I am the way, the truth, and the life. Can we have the heart of Jesus to say, God, 
this is what I want. This is how I've been living. But Lord, I surrender and I lay it all down because I want what you want more than anything in my life. I just want you, God. I want people to look at my life and see that I'm representing you so well, that I'm carrying your name so well. So let's just pray and, and, and the worship team will just lead us into this last song.